Hey church, today we're going to be reading from Matthew 6 verses 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Hi, Church of the City. My name is Cam Ogilvie. I'm one of the elders for this community. I want to start off today's message by sharing with you a little bit about a man named Howard Washington Thurman. He was born 1899 in Daytona Beach, Florida. He grew up in the time of Jim Crow laws in the United States where blacks were separated from whites. There was a separate rail car, sit at the back of the bus, that sort of deal. He, he was largely raised by his grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, who had been enslaved on a plantation in Madison County, Florida. Howard was a contemporary of Martin Luther King Sr. And, and so because of this was a, a big influence in the, the life and the teaching of Martin Luther King Jr. In 1949, Howard published a book called Jesus and the Disinherited, highly recommended reading, and I'm going to share with you a, a little quote that he writes about Christian missions. He writes, it is the sin of pride and arrogance that has tended to spoil the missionary impulse and to make of it an instrument of self-righteousness on the one hand and racial superiority on the other. For decades, we have studied the various peoples of the world and those who live as our neighbors as objects of missionary endeavor and enterprise without being at all willing to treat them either as brothers or as human beings. Pride and arrogance, Howard says, have spoiled the missionary impulse. Howard's critique was that Christian missions, particularly among white Americans, had become more about the missionary than those they claimed to be serving. And I believe this is exactly what Jesus is attacking here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. How pride and arrogance can swoop in and spoil all the right things, the righteousness that we are called to do to the point that the prophet Isaiah would talk about it as all our righteous deeds are filthy rags. The solution, according to Jesus, isn't to stop doing the right things as though they were inherently rotten, but to do them in the right ways as well. In contrast to the spirit of pride, selfishness, the desire to make much of ourselves, Jesus invites us instead to do rightly by humbling ourselves, practicing selflessness, and making much of God and others. So as we usually do, take a moment right now, check in. How are you feeling? How, what are your emotions as you come to Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 6? 
are you ready for what he wants to say to you today? He will love to meet you where you're at. Okay, let's take a moment together. All right, I'm going to start off here with a brief recap. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' primary teachings. He, he's just finished a section where he's been updating his disciples on a right understanding of the Old Testament law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so now he's teaching his followers the true spirit behind the law because they've gotten this messed up in a few ways. So he's been addressing topics like murder, adultery, divorce, telling the truth, retaliation, and loving our enemies. All right actions, I think you could sum that up. But as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to continue this corrective teaching on the Old Testament law, but now he's addressing uh, right practices. Uh, you could call them spiritual disciplines. And Jesus is going to endorse three, three of them in particular. We're just going to focus on one of them today. But the three practices that are part of Jesus' discipleship pathway are giving to the needy, which we'll talk about today, prayer, and fasting. Giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. But he's going to address these spiritual disciplines in the context of the following warning. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Beware, or be aware, be conscious, be mindful, be alert. This, this isn't a condemnation of Jesus. It's in his gentle and humble spirit, Jesus is warning us of a trap that we can all fall into as we follow him as we learn to do like him. So he's inviting us to consider and reflect on how we are practicing giving, prayer, and fasting to avoid falling into this trap. Now, sometimes uh, these verses are interpreted as though we ought to practice our spirituality totally in secret, private practices. But this is wrong for a couple of reasons. First of all, we don't just pray in private. We, we do, but we also pray corporately, collectively. And the scriptures are full of examples of God's people coming together, praying publicly, corporately, with others, fasting together, and, and even giving in ways that other people would see. So Jesus isn't against this. And the second reason is that in this sermon already, Jesus has said that we as his followers are to be salt and light in the world. And that we should, these are Jesus' words, we should let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And, and this is the key part, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants his followers to follow him in doing what is good and right for the world to see and give glory to God so that God gets the glory. What he doesn't want is for us to do what is good and right so that we get the glory, that we get seen and noticed by others. And here Jesus is getting to the heart of a chronic 
issue for all people, the desire to be seen. In his book, The Go-Between God, John V. Taylor writes this, In these days, more and more people are sick and lost because they do not know with any certainty who they are or what they are. They can find their identity and their role only when someone else sees them with love. It is useless to call for repentance or commitment until we have first given acceptance. No one can change unless he can first of all be. No one can give himself until he has a self to give. Oh, and we so desperately want to be known, to be understood, to be seen. We are sick for it. Look at me, notice me, appreciate me, acknowledge me, celebrate me, approve of me, love me. And friends, this is the good news. The creator of all things saw us. In this terrible state that we were in, slaves to the anxiety, the fear, the jealousy, the selfishness, the greed and the resentment and bitterness that takes over us when we try to draw our identity and self-worth from others. Our creator saw us in this and he came to us. He put skin on he came to us in the person of Jesus to see us, touch us, know us, even though the world wouldn't properly see or even know or understand him. And he sacrificed his life to show without a shadow of a doubt that you and I are seen and loved by a God who sees, even when no one else is watching he sacrificed his life to show us that we are seen and loved, and he rose again to free us from the curse of loneliness, to heal relationships between us and God and each other, to usher in a new world where God and humanity are one in perfect relationship, perfect community. But we're clearly not there yet, though. And, and so to train us for life in this new world that Jesus is creating, Jesus invites us to practice a few things. Giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. To practice these things in community so that others can see, but as ways not to get glory for ourselves, but to humble ourselves and instead to make much of God and others because we are already seen by the only one who matters. So I want to invite us all to take some time now, reflect on this both individually, but if you're with other people, maybe take some time to reflect and, and share any reflections you have. Here's a few questions, and you don't necessarily have to get through all of them, but how much does this desire to be seen by others motivate your actions, even the right ones? Can you point to a time when you were motivated to do something good for all the wrong reasons? 
And how would you have acted differently if you knew deep in your being that you were seen and loved by God? Take a moment now. All right, let's pick up where we left off and take a look at this first example Jesus is going to give us of practicing the right things but in the wrong ways, in order to be seen. Okay, so Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Up to this point, Jesus has been teaching his audience including us, a right understanding of the Old Testament law. So what does the Old Testament law have to say about giving to the needy? Well, in the law, there is this concept of a tithe, which literally means a tenth. Now, before you get any ideas about this, this is not a message about whether or not Christians should tithe. That, that could be a message on its own. And I think the point, like many Old Testament laws, is that the spirit of the law supersedes what's written down. That what is commanded for New Testament Christians is radical generosity, freely giving. And, and so really a tenth is, is just a starting point. You know, that's the entry level. But anyways, the Jewish people were commanded to take a tenth of all that they produced and to share it with the needy. So if if you want, you can flip open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to start reading at verse 22. And listen closely to these words. Deuteronomy 14, 22. You shall tithe, a tenth, all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. I'm skipping through a couple of verses here. You shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. To sum, to sum this up, the tithe, as it's expressed in this passage, was not dropping that 10% in a charity box. It was 10% saved up to host a feast. And the Jews were to invite people in need in their community to the feast. The Levite, who's a member of the priestly family and so didn't own land. The sojourner or a foreigner who's living in the land. Orphans, the fatherless, and widows. And for doing this, God's people were promised a reward. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Blessing. This promise of reward shows up again, actually, in the next chapter in Deuteronomy 15, where God commands his people to lend to anyone in the Jewish community who has need. From Deuteronomy 15, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this, 
the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. There's that reward once again. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And the rest of the Old Testament is full of poetic and prophetic commentary showing Not that doing these things makes us righteous, but that righteous people, people who are right with God, do these things. Here's just a few more examples from Proverbs 19, 17. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will receive a return. Okay, here's here's another one. Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And hereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the heavens, the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And Jesus continues this expectation throughout his teaching ministry. Here's from Luke 14, starting at verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus shares this expectation that within the family of God, and that's worth emphasizing, this is taking place within the community of believers first, is that we are not giving at arm's length but we are in relationship with those in our family who have need, and we have not excluded them and pushed them to the margins. And this practically looks like sharing meals, lending without interest, in some cases forgiving those loans among brothers and sisters in the family of God. And those who do this are promised Blessing and reward, not from others, but from God. Now, these are all the right things to do based on the Old Testament law, but what Jesus is confronting here is it's not the, what are the right things, but when the right things are done for the wrong reasons. Here's Jesus' words again. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Hypocrites are probably the group that Jesus calls out the most. They're people who say that they're doing one thing while, while secretly doing exactly the opposite. Now, now, I imagine that most of us don't go around ringing a bell or blowing a horn to get attention from others when we give, but that's not the particulars that Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about the motive. The issue is giving to get. Giving to get. To get what? Anything. Attention, praise, status, admiration. 
And, and all those Old Testament texts that promised a blessing for giving to the needy, Jesus is saying, yeah, if you do this to get attention from others, the deal's off. You've gotten what you were looking for. So how are we to give according to Jesus? Look down at the next verse in, in Matthew chapter 6. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know... Sorry, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. In the ancient world, the right hand symbolized the idea of of strength, of truth and right. The left hand tended to symbolize weakness, false, wrong. And so what Jesus is getting at here and saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he's drawing on this cultural understanding. There's always going to be this ugly side of ourselves that's looking out for number one, looking out for me and making much of myself. And Jesus wants us to be so freely generous, so ready to give to those in need, that this ugly side of ourselves never has a chance to catch on to what we're up to. Recently, my, my wife Sonia bought some curtains through Facebook Marketplace, but it took a couple of tries. She had connected with the seller, a woman, and had arranged for a time to pick them up. But about half an hour before Sonia was to go pick them up, the, the, the seller contacted her and said she, she couldn't sell them just yet. See, what had happened was she had pulled out the curtains to go and take them and put them on the front porch, and her husband saw her pulling them out and said, hey, what, what are you doing with those curtains? And, oh, I, I'm, I'm selling them. And he wasn't ready to part with them yet. He, he liked those curtains. Now, eventually she was able to convince him and bring him around to the fact that they, they could, in fact, part from the curtains. Um, But I think this illustrates this idea of being free to give and not letting this, this other side of you catching on to what you are up to. So the point is, in being generous, give it away and don't tell your spouse about it. No, I, that's, that's not what the point is. Jesus wants us to be so ready to give that there's no hesitation and no opportunity for that self-seeking side of us to get in the way. The goal of giving to the needy is to humble ourselves, to bring us low, and to make much of God and others. I want to close off with a few practical points. When we give in order to get, the way that Jesus is telling us not to give, not only do we rob God of the glory that he deserves, we also hurt other people. In their book, When Helping Hurts, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert make it crystal clear, do nothing for people that they can do for themselves. Now, I am as guilty as the next person on this charge. I am embarrassed at some of the ways in my youthful passion Uh, an unhealthy savior complex and things like that, that I've just swooped in and done things that other people could do for themselves. And it's been attention-seeking on my part. But remember that quote that I shared earlier, that no one can give of themselves until they first have a self to give? 
One of the most paralyzing aspects of poverty is the shame and inferiority that people in poverty experience, a, a poor sense of self. This is again from When Helping Hurts. By showing low-income people through our words and our actions, and more importantly through our ears, I would also just add through our eyes, through seeing them, by showing them that they are people with unique gifts and abilities, we can be part of helping them to recover their sense of dignity, even as we recover from our sense of pride. Because pride is its own form of poverty, okay? So those of us who are rich often fool ourselves into thinking that to be needy makes us weak or, or maybe less than being a human. But this is a lie. To be needy is one of the core parts of being human. God made us in need to depend on him. And we're fooling ourselves to think that we can fill all the needs in our lives by financing them. And the sooner we come to grips with that, the better. But, but this transformation, the materially poor finding dignity and the materially rich discovering their own need, it cannot happen except through relationship. There is a reason that God's people were commanded to share meals with the refugee, the orphan, the widow. There is a reason that the new identity that we receive through Christ is family, brothers and sisters, rich and poor alike. The church community that I grew up in began building a relationship with a church in Haiti when I was in my teen years. And I, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel there uh, three times with my dad. And my dad has gone back nearly every year since for about the past decade, over a decade, to serve, to build relationships, and to love on the people of Haiti. It wasn't until the third trip, the third year, that the pastor of the church that we were connected to in Haiti pulled my dad aside and said to him, now we trust you. You keep coming back. You share meals with us. You build relationships with us. You fellowship with us. You serve us. Now we trust you. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus humbled himself to meet us where we were at in our poverty, in our brokenness, and he invites us to follow him, to learn to do like him, to take our eyes off of ourselves and to see others made in the image of God, to give selflessly, freely, without hesitation, in the same way that he gave himself to us. So a second opportunity to discuss and reflect. Can, can you think of a time 
when you were giving to get? What was it that you were hoping to receive? And I'd invite you once again to read and reflect on Jesus' words in Luke 14, verse 12 to 14 again. And who are the people that you have tended to invite to sit around your dinner table? Of course, when, when we're able to share meals together once again, how can we work towards making room for the marginalized at our dinner tables? I'll invite you to reflect on that now.